Well, hello, my name is Ray Burbank, and I serve as one of the elders here in Charlotte Chapel. Uh, happy Father's Day to the dads out there. Uh, I hope that tonight, as we look at God's Word, you will be spurred on to be uh, a more godly, Christ-like dad in your household, a servant leader there. Um, so I'm excited to look through this passage with you that um, Anna just read for us in Second Peter. Um, so why don't we go to the Lord now and ask for his help in this time. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see what you're saying here in your word. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, a heart to believe, a will that will submit to your will in obedience. With your help, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past weekend, I went with my beautiful bride, Lauren, to the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, and we stayed in this cabin uh, right next to the, those iconic green rolling hills. It was such a great uh, just sort of escape from the city life. And, uh, you know, being there and being in that environment, it was so amazing and beautiful, the, just the countryside there. Uh, Lauren is convinced that this must be what the Garden of Eden was like. You know, it's just so incredible to be there, to breathe the fresh air, um, and to see what it's like to live in a, in a very different environment from what we know in Edinburgh, right? Um, the reason why we went to the Yorkshire Dales actually is because we're a big fan of uh, the show All Creatures Great and Small. You might have heard of it. I'm also a big fan of the book series. And, uh, you know, in the show and in the books, you get, a, you get to learn about what life was like as a small farmer, small town, small kind of... Uh, small animal, kind of small estate farmer in the 1930s and 40s. I mean, talk about a tough life. You know, you're working long hours every day. You're really living a life of uncertainty at the mercy of the, the weather and the health of your animals. And there's this one great episode in the show where uh, the main character, James, asks his, at the time, his girlfriend, Helen. Uh, she was a, a Dale farmer with her family. And he was just asking, you know, how, how do you do it? How do, you, how do you live like this? What makes you, you know, want to, to do this? And she tells him that hey, it's, it's in our blood. You know, this is, this is what we were born to do. And Helen's younger sister in another scene kind of says something similar. She says, we were born to the land to work the land. And, you know, basically saying, we, this is what we were made for. We, we were put here for this. We could say this was their, their calling. They're calling in life to do this kind of work. Well, you know, we've been studying in our growth groups here in the church uh, the book of Second Peter. And I think what uh, we see there in, in the Yorkshire Dales, in that kind of story of those small farmers, is somewhat a helpful illustration of what Peter is showing us uh, here in Second Peter. That actually all Christians have a calling. A calling to holiness, a calling to Christ-likeness. And so we've been going through this uh, book in our growth groups here lately, and so I wanted to take the time tonight to kind of close out that series, even if you haven't been able to participate in that, and show us kind of in this opening section of Peter's letter uh, this sort of major theme that he's going to talk to us about, about the importance of growing in Christ-likeness, and that that's based on our calling as Christians to be united to Christ and to be like Christ. 
So this is the letter from, from Peter. So Simon Peter, one of the, the 12 apostles who became the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Christians in this letter who were actually not in Jerusalem, but they were scattered across Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey. And these Christians, one of the, the reasons why he's writing to them is because they were being influenced by some false teachers that were in their midst. These were false teachers who, who appeared to be professing Christians, but they were beginning to spread uh, sort of ideas that you could believe the gospel, but basically live an immoral life. That how you, how you live didn't necessarily matter with what you know. They even began to spread doubts about Jesus' return. You know, they thought, well, he hasn't come back yet, so maybe he won't ever come back, so we should just live, you know, to our heart's desire. Well, they were very wrong, and Peter's going to show us why um, throughout the letter, but I think this opening section, we really get a sense of his major um, argument here. So tonight, we're going to be looking at this opening section, and, and I commend to you this book um, by Jerry Bridges. It really helped me in this process called The Pursuit of Holiness. Um, he goes through a lot of these kinds of themes on what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. It's really uh, clear and helpful for applying a lot of these truths. So I commend this to you. We might have one or two copies still left on the bookstall, but if we don't, uh, come and see me and we can, we can help you get a, a copy of one. So here's the message to us tonight, Charlotte Chapel. As Christians... We must continue to grow in Christ-likeness because that's who we are. We're united to Christ. God has allowed us to share in his holiness, just like what we were singing about. Through Christ, we can know God and reflect God's own character in our lives. So this is what 2 Peter is showing us tonight, and it does so in two main headings for this passage. Number one, holiness is every Christian's calling. And then secondly, we'll see later, therefore, grow in holiness, grow in Christ-likeness. So number one, holiness is every Christian's calling. This is what we see here in uh, verses one through four. But look at me with, uh, look at verse three with me. Peter says here that, uh, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life. So living a, a godly life, this is what Peter's going to be talking about in this whole passage that we're looking at tonight. Personal holiness, moral integrity, living a life like Jesus in obedience to God. These are how we, you know, he starts off the letter. But notice here, though, he, he doesn't just jump right into start, start talking about specific behaviors. Saying, okay, hey now, Christians, great to see you. Here's what you need to start doing. No, actually, instead he starts by talking about the Christian's identity in Christ. Because you see, right living flows out of right belief about God and about ourselves. So he starts by saying that a godly life, personal holiness, is every Christian's calling. It's the norm for being a follower of Christ. How do we see that here in, in verse 3 and, and verse 4 especially? These verses can be a bit tricky to understand in, in English because there's, there's so many prepositional phrases. But here's a helpful breakdown that might um, make sense of this. So this is verses 3 through 4 and kind of the flow of Peter's argument here. He says, God's power 
called us to his own glory and goodness through our knowledge of his great and precious promises, thus having escaped from corruptly worldly desires, we may participate in the divine nature and we have everything we need for a godly life. And see, those last two points there are the key. Here Peter explains the Christian's calling to holiness, and he does it in two perspectives. Notice that, these two, these two points. The first one is that we are called to holiness positionally. Positionally. We are called holy because of Christ's holiness on our behalf. God calls us holy. For those who trust in Christ, we are positionally holy in God's sight. We are counted as blameless and righteous, not because of anything we have done. You know, we're, we're not better than anybody else. We're not positionally holy because, you know, we attend church on Sundays or we pray or we study the Bible or we help the poor. No, we're counted as holy because that's what God calls us. <laughs> not, now, why would God call anybody that? I mean, we all sin every day. Why should he call anyone holy? Well, the answer is that Jesus was holy on our behalf. You see, if you've repented of your sin, if you've turned from desiring sin, and you've turned to Jesus in faith, Jesus' own holy life is counted to you. His obedient life, his sacrificial death on the cross it's credited to you as if you did those things. Jesus gives us his holy status. And so through Jesus, we can share in God's own holiness. Look at verse 4 again. Peter says that through knowing God's great and precious promises in the gospel, you may participate in the divine nature. Whoa. Participate in the divine nature. We're getting pretty deep here. Well, participate in the divine nature doesn't mean that you can become God. No, it means that you get to share in God's own holiness through faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Through faith in the promises of the gospel, Jesus' righteousness clothes us. Clothes us like a glorious new set of clothes. You know, this is how the, the prophet Zechariah spoke about this. In Zechariah chapter 3, uh, Zechariah has this vision of the high priest. He sees him standing there, standing before the Lord, and picture this, in filthy garments, filthy clothing. Standing before the Lord in the temple, in the holy place. But then the angel says, hey, take off his filthy clothes. And then he says to the high priest, see, I have taken away your sin." And I will put fine garments on you. Friends, it's the same for anyone today who would repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ. Any believer. It doesn't matter if, if, if you're one of the 12 apostles like Peter or an elder in a church or a new Christian. This is true for every believer. Look back at verse 1. What, what does Peter say to his readers? He says to them, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Wow. 
Apart from Christ, friends, you see, we, we wear filthy clothing. We never deserve to be called holy. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be given clean clothes. We can put off the dirty, corrupted clothing of sin we, that we used to wear. We can receive God from a, uh, we receive this clothing that God grants us and put on this new state of being right with God and being counted as holy, sharing in his own holiness through Christ. So this is a bit deep, but what does it mean for us, friends? I think first we can see that it, this is good news, right? Good news to sinners like you and me. You know, maybe this is something you're hearing tonight, and you, you, know, you might be here and you might not be a, a Christian. You wouldn't consider yourself a, a believer but this is maybe beginning to make sense. Or this is something that you, deep down, you realize you want. You want to be cleansed of the wrongs that you've done in your life. You want to stand right before God. Isn't this good news? Or maybe you're a very religious person here tonight. And you're doing everything you can to be right with God. Do you want to be rid of the stain of your sin? And receive God's grace. Or to you who's a religious person, are you, are you relying on your good deeds to get to God? And friends, this is good news that we can be counted holy, not on anything we do, but on what Christ does for us. Secondly, I think it's encouragement to the discouraged. You might have, you know, heard, saw the first slide that I put up there about holiness and you might have dropped your head. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you know, you, you know the Lord and you want to follow his ways, but you're struggling. Well, friends, I, I hope that you see that this is an encouragement to you. Do you think that you are lacking something to live a godly life? Well, look at verse 3. What does he say? His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. I'm not saying that you don't need help. Maybe you need to get counseling. You need to lock arms with other brothers and sisters. You need to join a small group. But this is part of how God does provide us with everything we need to grow in godliness. This is why we read Deuteronomy 30. Barry read that for us. Because, you know, Moses was looking forward to the day when one day God would come and circumcise our hearts. And he says, what does he say? Then you will be able to obey me. He was looking forward to our day after Christ has come. And we put our faith in Christ. God's spirit comes in us, circumcises our heart. Now we have been given everything we need to live a life that pleases him. So I hope this is an encouragement to you who are discouraged. And thirdly, I would say this is an invitation to the hungry. An invitation to the hungry. Do you, do you want to know more of God's holiness? We can know and participate in his holiness by growing more like Jesus. Isn't this great? It's an invitation to hunger more for God and to be like him. So we are called holy positionally. This is what Peter's saying. But secondly, we are uh, called to be holy in a prescriptive way. We are prescriptively called to holiness. We are called to live a holy life like Jesus. 
So sharing in God's holiness, it's not just a static truth about a Christian. It's also an experiential reality. You know, if you're hearing me tonight and, and, and you believe this, you shouldn't just say, yes, Ray, that's true. We're called to holiness. Now you should say, yes, that's true, and it demands something of me. You know, the Apostle Paul uses this same kind of clothing metaphor that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, to talk about this prescriptive call. In Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put, uh, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we were created to be like God, put off your old sinful self. Put on the new self of Christ's likeness. So we're called to live a holy life because of our identity in Christ. This is who we're meant to be. God's holy people. Peter says in verse 3, this is done by God's power. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. You know, this reminded me of in the first century, you know, where we get the word Christian from. It's really common today. Well, you know, it started in the first century in Rome. The, the local people used it, actually, of the Christian people, almost in a sort of pejorative kind of making fun of them sense. They called them Christianoi. And, you know, it can literally be translated little Christs. You know, they're, little, they're, they're just like their, their, their founder, you know, the pe- person who founded their group. They're just little Christs. Well, isn't that kind of appropriate? It seems fitting in this case, right? We should live a holy life like Christ because that is who we are. We are little Christs. We are Christians. So this is what the rest of the passage will focus on. Uh, is the command to grow in personal holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness. So, number two, therefore, grow in holiness. This is what we see in verses 5 to 11. So he says, look at verse 5. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. For this very reason, since we are called to holiness, therefore... Make every effort to add to your faith, to grow up spiritually. So the truths of verses 3 to 4 compel us to conclude that we should live out our identity in Christ. And notice he says, make every effort. Bring all your energy to bear. I mean, this is a command. Growth in Christ's likeness doesn't just happen. (laughs) It doesn't just happen to us. We, We can't just pray about it and expect that we will change without any intentionality on our part. Now, as we pray and depend on God's power, we should take practical action steps to seek to grow in Christ's likeness. So what does that look like, to grow in personal holiness? Well, Peter shows us this in three parts. Verses 5 to 7, look what it says. Holiness focuses on Christ-like character. Holiness focuses on Christ-like character. Notice in verses 5 through 7, he now lists uh, seven different qualities, Christ-like characteristics that should characterize uh, our growth in holiness. This is what it looks like. First, he says goodness. 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You know, this is the same word that's used in verse 3 to describe God's own goodness. Our Lord Jesus displayed this goodness and the excellence of his character. It was noticeable to others. It was commendable. It was part of what drew people to him. He benefited the lives of others. He walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So how are you reflecting the good character of Jesus and being an encouragement to others around you? Are you asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? The second thing he says is knowledge. Add to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, now this is not just a quality of being educated, a general kind of education. It's first and foremost about truly knowing God. A personal and relational knowledge of God. Knowing the Lord Jesus, knowing his saving works, knowing his holiness, his continual presence, his return. You see, knowing God leads to godly living. Unlike the false teachers that Peter's writing against in this letter. You know, they knew neither God nor how to live a godly life. So friends, how, how are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord? Are you reading the Bible? Are you learning from others in a Christian, uh, learning from other Christians in a small group setting? Are you a running stream? Or are you a stagnant pool of knowledge? Second, or thirdly, he says self-control. Add to knowledge self-control. Controlling ourselves, uh, oftentimes the Bible speaks about self-control and what we eat and drink, what, how we speak, how we handle sexual desires, how we handle money. Now by contrast, the false teachers in this letter, you could read through the rest of the letter and see how they, they you know, supported things of living in a, a licentious way. Uh, you know, uh, living in a way that, that gives freedom of lustful desires, of lawlessness, of a sort of an unprincipled kind of way of life. Now, this is not just about maintaining some kind of social decency like in a Victorian era. <laughs> no, it's, it's about honoring the Lord Jesus in thought and deed. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We should take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is self-control. Submitting everything to the Lordship of Christ. And then he says perseverance is another quality. Perseverance, the ability to, to hold out in the face of difficulty, in the face of suffering or temptation. Endurance is this ability to hold fast, not through some stoic kind of resolve as just some sort of you know, tough person. No, it's through hope in God and his promises Hebrews 12, verse 2 says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, Hebrews tells us, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So growing in this holy quality of perseverance is a growth in Christ-likeness. Similarly, godliness Godliness, this is a word you could translate it as duty even. You know, it's the same word that in verse 3 we see it says that uh, it says a godly life in verse 3. That's the same word here, godliness. This is about being loyal to God in private and in public. Associating with the Lord Jesus Christ, bearing his banner. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And he says of his disciples, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, are you growing as an obedient disciple? Or are you just an educated spectator? Are you just reading or listening? Or are you hearing and obeying with God's help? And lastly, the last two are very, very similar. Mutual affection. Mutual affection. You know, the, the Greek word is the same word that we named our great American city, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, brotherly love, mutual kind of affection. This is a, a love that's kind of a special love between family members, between very close friends. I could, you could say we apply it, obviously, in our own households and even in the church family. Are you someone who's a kind person in public but harsh around your own family and the privacy of your home? Do you uh, seek to love your church family, to seek the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ? And lastly, he mentions love. Love. Agape is the Greek word. This is this kind of crowning virtue in Peter's list. We see it in Paul, the Apostle Paul's list too, in his letters. He, he kind of crowns these qualities of Christ with love as the greatest of all. There's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13. This love is a, it's a conscious expression of seeking another's good. Seeking their welfare above your own. It's a love that's based in truth. Not, not in just a sort of sentiment or a people-pleasing kind of way. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, agape. And whoever abides in love abides in God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as for us as Christians, that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 says that we, you know, we can be the most theologically astute, we can be the most powerful preacher or the most charitable giver, the busiest member of the church, serving in all kinds of ministries, but if we don't prioritize love for God and love for people, well, it's, it's all for nothing. So are you prioritizing love for God, love for neighbor, or are, we, are you just too busy? Are you, like, are you like Martha, who was so busy serving everybody in the household when Jesus was there and Complained to Jesus even, like, Lord, I'm doing so much. Why don't you tell my sister to come help me? Or are you like Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet and was still, was, was wanting to spend time with him, was prioritizing that face-to-face -face love with him? Holiness, friends, is Christ-likeness, becoming more like Jesus The next thing we see in verses 8 through 9, holiness fosters a fruitful faith. Holiness fosters a fruitful faith. Look at verse 8 with me, where he says, you know, for if you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is presenting this kind of contrast now. Saying, you know, if you have these kinds of qualities, this is what you'll be like. And then verse 9, he presents sort of the opposite. In verse 8, that word for unproductive, you know, in the positive sense, productive, can also mean fruitful. 
That's a term we see in other parts of the New Testament. Being a, a fruitful Christian, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit as a follower of Christ, we see it, it, it kind of has two meanings in the New Testament. One is to be fruitful means to uh, lead lost people to faith, to uh, spiritually multiply, to make disciples. And secondly, we see that it means growing in Christ-like character through obeying God's word. Spiritual multiplication and personal holiness. This is what it looks like to be a fruitful Christian. Jesus explains this in John 15. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So when we remain in Christ by the Holy Spirit through prayer and regularly taking in his word, he will enable us to be fruitful in the great commission and in the great commandments. Go and make disciples of all nations and love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks of this as well in Colossians. In Colossians, Paul says, you know, in the same way, this is that first aspect, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And secondly, he says, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So this is what Peter is saying you will be like as you grow in Christ-likeness. You'll be bearing fruit. By contrast, in verse 9, you'll see that there, that the, the, the person who doesn't grow in these qualities, they're like these false teachers that he's writing against. They're spiritually blind, nearsighted. They were ignorant or self-deceived even, thinking that they could you know, believe the gospel but not obey Christ. The Apostle John wrote about this and this kind of faith in 1 John chapter 2. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, friends, faith without growing in obedience, it's a dead faith. It bears no fruit because it's dead. Not that good deeds earn you the right to salvation, but saving faith does bear fruit. It bears the marks of an increasing measure of growth in Christ's likeness. And this leads us to our last observation we can make about this passage tonight. That holiness confirms your call to salvation. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You know, Jesus said about false teachers and false believers, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, Matthew 7. Again, it's not that any of us 
are a good tree because of something impressive about us, something that we do for God. We didn't earn our salvation by our good deeds. Jesus alone is our Savior. Only he gives us a holy standing before God. But Scripture does say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see, when you come to Christ, when God saves you through faith in Christ, you're not the same person anymore. You're not the same person anymore. There might, it might be a gradual change, but it will be noticeable. We confirm our calling to salvation by the way that we live, we grow, the way we grow in Christ-likeness. So friend, if, you, if, you, if you're here this evening, you would say that you are a believer in Jesus and claim to have that salvation. But when you look back on, your, on the, the time since you would say that you came to faith in Christ and you, you can't really identify any significant kind of change or growth in kind of Christ-like character, well, I, I want to lovingly tell you that you, you should be concerned. You should have a... It's a godly concern. It's a good concern to have. This is, this is one of the reason, reasons why we do membership interviews in this church. You know, it's not just a formality. We, we want to, as humanly possible, to be able to sit down with every person that joins a church and just hear their, their story of how they came to faith in Christ. And one of the things we always do is we always want to talk with them and, and, and see, can you identify in some way how the Lord has changed you since you came to know Christ? Have you seen any, any kind of growth in Christ-likeness? Any sort of, sort of overcoming some sin that you struggled with in the past, but you've seen some growth in? And sometimes if they can't identify that, it's not like we, oh, we end the conversation and you, yeah, you can't be a member. No, actually it's a great opportunity to help them begin to consider for the first time, oh, well, faith in the gospel really should create a change in my life. So if that's you here this evening, Maybe there is someone here this evening. You, you need to think about this too. Go home this evening. Go home this week. Look, look back in 2 Peter. You can read this in about 15 minutes, this whole letter. And think through what Peter is saying to us here, that this is our calling. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Let's grow up in Christ's likeness. Because look at the reward. Look at verse 11. Look at the reward, friends. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A rich welcome. Can I tell you something, church family? It's, it's okay to look forward to a reward from God in heaven. It's okay. I, I think we can have a tendency to, to think that desiring a reward from God is somehow kind of ungodly or you know, contradictory to our Christian faith. Now, it's true that you shouldn't, you know, trust in Christ just because you want to escape hell and just be in heaven and kind of be safe. No, our, our true faith in Christ is desiring Christ. You know, your reward, first and foremost, is to be with the Lord. But go back and read Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and look at how many times he says that as, a, as God's children, when we're obedient to him, we can look forward to a reward from God. Now, we don't always get details about what this might look like. Obviously, it's first and foremost nearness to the Lord, being in the Lord's presence for eternity. But we do get a sense that there, we can look forward to being rewarded for walking in obedience to him. 
You know, Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. The joy that was on the other side of the cross. Friends, there is a joy on the other side. There is a joy on the other side of the sufferings that you're experiencing right now. There's a joy on the other side of all those times when you choose obedience to Christ. When you want to compromise your values. When you want to sin. When you want to return to that addiction that you, that you have that you just say just once more, but, but you don't. When you say, okay, I will trust the Lord and I will be obedient in this situation. Friends, there is a joy on the other side of that. A reward from the Lord. And even today, you can know a bit of that reward. Because when we obey the Lord, friends, when we obey the Lord, it really does bring a true sense of happiness, doesn't it? I mean, even, even when it's hard, there's this sense of knowing that we're following the, Lord's, following the Lord's will in this situation. It does bring a joy. You know, when King David sinned against the Lord, he, he, he prayed to the Lord in Psalm 51, return to me the joy of your salvation. Because, man, when we're not seeking the Lord, when we're not growing, our joy in God is low, is, is, is absent. But when we are seeking to grow in holiness, when we know those uh, times of, uh, of, of choosing obedience to Christ, we can know a sweeter fellowship with God. So here's my closing encouragement to you, friends. Desire holiness. <laughs> Discover that attraction of the holiness of God. Let's, let it become a delightful thing to you to know how God is holy and he's called you to be holy in the likeness of Jesus. So pr- pursue this calling, brothers and sisters, because it's what we were created for. We were born uh, again <laughs> to be like Christ. Let me close with this quote. I'll, I'll let uh, David Brainerd have the final word on this. He's one of my favorite missionary heroes. He was uh, 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 a preacher to Native American tribes in the 18th century. He wrote in his journal, Oh, how blessed is a heavenly temper. Oh, how unspeakably blessed it is to feel a measure of that rectitude in which we were at first created. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a holy God. And, God, we know apart from Christ, that would be a terrifying thing to think about and to know. But, God, you have sent your Son into the world that sinners like us could be reconciled to you, a holy God. And and not only that, not only do you grant us forgiveness, but you actually adopt us as your children. You count us as blameless in your sight, not because of anything great that we have done, but all because of what Jesus has done for us. So, God, we remember that tonight and we rejoice in that. And Father, help us to know this calling, that you call us your holy people. And God, let us know the calling you have put on our lives, Lord, as we have um, spent the rest of our days, Lord, before you call us home, that we would live
out that calling to be like Jesus. God, I pray for those here this evening that, God, that we would respond in faith in Christ. Help us, Lord, we ask in his name. Amen. We're going to sing again, Be Thou My Vision. So if you believe what we've just seen tonight, um, why don't you respond to the Lord by saying, Be my vision, be the center.